Thanks for joining Graham Pelton's Make Mission podcast, where we bring together philanthropy scholars and fundraising practitioners to better understand the world of nonprofit development. What is being studied? What trends affect donor decisions? We'll bridge the gap between theory and practice to understand the future of philanthropy and how to make mission. I'm your host, Anna Shalia. Have you ever stayed up far past your bedtime scrolling social media? Yeah, me too. For many years now, many of us have been swept under social media's spell. And for all the fair criticisms of it, we can't deny that it's an important engagement tool for the organizations we serve. Sorry, Zuckerberg, Facebook is dead. The new king is TikTok. And due to its frenetic short form videos and use of artificial intelligence, it's changing the way organizations must relate and respond to their audiences. In today's episode, we talked to Dr. Kimberly Wiley, Assistant Professor of Nonprofit Leadership and Community Sciences at the University of Florida. We also learned from Darcy Porter, Associate Director of Communications and Content Strategy, who harnesses the power of TikTok at her institution, SUNY Brockport, winning awards and accolades along the way. Let's get into it. Thank you both for being here. I'd love to first learn a little bit more about who you are, what you do, before we jump into a conversation about TikTok. Dr. Wiley, why don't you start? My background is working in nonprofits that provided victim advocacy to domestic violence victims. Um, and so I came to academia to study you know, the role that these nonprofits played in society and how we could address some of the problems that they faced. I do mostly qualitative scholarship, and I like to do kind of fun things study new different data sets and play with them. And um, TikTok was a very fun data set to play with and learn both about that approach to methodology, but then also how nonprofits are finding themselves here in this space. That's great. Welcome. Darcy, tell us some more about your work at, at SUNY Brockport. Yeah, so I um, work in our central communications office here at Brockport um, and in my role, I manage all of our social media platforms single-handedly, uh, which is only 50% of my role. So it becomes a lot of navigating um, all of these channels, planning content, and devising strategies to help me do that work more efficiently, while also being able to um, maintain the other 50% of my job. So uh, yeah, we really just try to make sure we're putting our best foot forward with recruitment and retention strategies on our social networks. Kim, I'd love for you to share more about the the path that nonprofit organizations have taken in their engagement with social media. So if you can tell us a little bit more about one-way communication, uh, like Facebook, other platforms like that, and then where we are now. Nonprofits have traditionally used or kind of started using social media sites, almost like a second website, where they shared information um, about their events, maybe fundraising events, um, information about their services. But it was very much about getting information to their stakeholders, whoever their stakeholders might be. Um, and so as we started to research how nonprofits were using social media, scholars kind of sorted their activities on social media into three categories, sharing information, mobilizing users to act, and the third one is building community with their stakeholders. And over time, we found that Facebook and Twitter have been used more to tell people things versus ask people things. 
um, or to tell them what we want them to do versus asking them about what they want us to do. So Darcy, at Brockport, have you seen this type of engagement change over time? When I first got to Brockport, it was all Instagram all the time. Um, but even engagement on Instagram looked so much differently than it does now. Um, it was kind of rare then that I would get a DM as, you know, when I say I, I mean the college, um, from really anyone. And now I'd say the bulk of my engagement on Instagram is all in the DMs. So it's a really interesting landscape to navigate as someone that has to then report that out to the college and just account for these hidden conversations that are happening. Um, so a lot of the people, you know, a lot of the people that are watching what I do don't necessarily see a lot of the conversations that are happening, which is a, a really hard <laughs> landscape to navigate. Um, but yeah, it was all Instagram in the beginning. Um, Facebook and Twitter definitely had their roles. Now, as I'm sure you all know, Facebook is is very much so less of a platform for our Generation Z audiences. Um, it's really a, a touch point for alumni audiences only. And then we're shifting gears away from Instagram a little bit and embracing platforms like YouTube and TikTok. And I saw on your on your TikTok account how many students you have participating in content creation. Can you tell us about how that's come together? What's your role in engaging those students and um, and getting them behind the camera or in front of the camera? I should say. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of both. Um, yeah. So the actual the program that I um, use to populate our TikTok content is kind of like an influencers model. Um, and it began on YouTube. So it was when vlogging was really big a few years ago. Um, and I realized this opportunity to be able to share the student story, the student experience of what it is to um, be a student at Brockport through the eyes of the students, which is always going to be the best marketing tool that we have. But I did not have the skill set, uh, audio, video, to be able to be filming these vlogs. Um, and it really does come best from that first person perspective. So I started just kind of doing some searching on YouTube, figuring out, you know, where I was seeing, like if I was seeing students that had their own presence on YouTube um, and doing some outreach with those and trying to get those students on board. That platform or that model was a little bit more challenging to sustain because vlogs are a long format of video. So for anyone to film, to edit, um, for me to review all that content, make sure it's, you know, living up to expectations. So it just was a ch more challenging undertaking. And then also it came at a time where TikTok was on the rise. So I realized this opportunity to shift what, what efforts we were doing on YouTube into some TikTok um, videos, TikTok content creation, using students again as the driving force behind the, the content that we were, ma we were making. So I recruited a group of anywhere from six to eight students that were either already pretty active on their own TikTok platforms or were very active, um, responsible student leaders that I could count on. Um, so between those two cohorts of, of student groups, I solidified the six to eight. And then um, we go from there, whether it's 20 minutes of a TikTok that they put into it or it's three hours that they're spending editing. Um, and it helps, you know, motivate them and keep their creativity alive to know that there, there's a incentive 
Kim, I'd love to take a deep dive into a recent study that you published, Engaging Stakeholders on TikTok, a multi-level social media analysis of nonprofit microvlogging. This appeared in public administration in early 2022. I'd love to hear how this study came together and uh, just learn a little bit more about what you all uncovered. This was a, a fun study and it kind of came together accidentally. Um, I had a great project planned out where I was um, had a group of students and they were going to go in the field and we were going to observe, do some field work. Um, and then COVID hit and couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> and so um, I have an assignment, one of my classes where students go look at social media, what leaders are doing on social media and interpret it. So I had been spending far too much time on TikTok and I was coming across more and more nonprofits that were using it. And they were using it in ways that I hadn't observed them using it on other uh, social media sites, very much like Darcy. I gathered a group of students <laughs> and then I had some other research assistants that already worked for me. And so we met via Zoom uh, once a week for eight weeks and we all sat with our phones um, on Zoom and we mute, us, mute ourselves and we would watch TikToks, um, our own TikToks. And then we would, we had a code book that we used that um, I mentioned earlier, the framework where uh, the three uses for social media, information sharing, mobilizing action, and community building. And so we looked at each TikTok and coded it for what they were doing. Um, but that's how it, it started. It was, um, it was kind of a fun adventure. And then as the data set grew, we, we began to wonder what nonprofits' intentions were on social media. So then that summer, um, we interviewed nonprofit leaders about what they intended to get out of TikTok. And so we have a couple more papers under review right now where we're using that data. I'd love to hear how your research team identified the nonprofits uh, that they were looking at. And also, were there any surprises that came out in the way that nonprofits were utilizing TikTok? The finding the TikToks accounts was, was interesting because um, we started... The data gathering um, started July 2020, so TikTok was still pretty new and nonprofits were still what we would call early adopters of the platform. They were the, the first, the pioneers of TikTok. Um, so we couldn't do the traditional way that, um, that scholars will go find nonprofits on various social media sites. Usually we find a nonprofit and then see if they're on social media. This time we went on TikTok and looked. We used different hashtags um, related to nonprofity kind of words <laughs> uh, or terms. And then um, we kind of did this snowball thing. Others would pop up, you know, how the algorithm works on TikTok. Once you start looking at certain TikToks, it assumes that you want to know more about nonprofits. So those would pop up in our timeline. So I sent a group of students off to TikTok and asked them to locate them. We located 147 accounts that appeared to be nonprofits. Um, and so we set some uh, parameters or boundaries around that so that we can have some sort of uniformity in our data set or our sample. And so we wanted to make sure they were active. So we had to, we looked to make sure they were actually producing something on TikTok. We looked to make sure they were 501c3, 4, or 6, or some sort of recognized nonprofit and um, that they were based here in the United States uh, or serving the United States. That allowed us to kind of compare them um, across each other. We did find a, a lot of organizations that appeared to be nonprofits. They were serving the community, but they weren't legal entities. We didn't analyze how they behaved. 
Um, but I did notice uh, more diversity in the groups that were not that were community based and serving um, some sort of mission or purpose that was similar to what a nonprofit would do, but they weren't legal entities. Um, so that was an interesting finding um, there. So it might be something we go look at later. So we wanted to know what nonprofits were doing on social media. We wanted to know, were they sharing information? Were they mobilizing users or were they community building? And then we wanted to know which one of those three engaged users the most. And on Facebook and Twitter, research has shown that nonprofits use those spaces to share information or mobilize people to act, either to give money or go uh, maybe go to the Capitol and get them to advocate for certain policy. But on TikTok, they weren't doing that. They were, well, they were, but they prioritized community building. For instance, one, org- like one organization would connect users um, of TikTok directly with the people that they, that they served. Um, there was an organization that served vets, uh, veterans, and they would go on their TikTok page and they'd say, we need, we're going to fix this or repair this veteran's house. Um, we need a contractor. We need a plumber. We need some plywood. And people would show up at the house and they would give them those things. And so this, there was a community around service versus just making the list of what they needed um, and then waiting for those donations to come in. It was a very back and forth live engagement. You know, I work with different offices to help them promote their um, initiatives. There was one in particular about financial aid. Um, and we, you know, said, fill out your FAFSA, you know, just relaying that information. And it performed so poorly, so few views. But then there's the community building aspect. I One TikTok that comes to mind um, that performed really well and speaks to all of what you're saying is there's this albino squirrel on campus that, you know, because it was albino, it was like a celebrity sighting when, when students saw this, this squirrel, everyone loved it. And I got a DM, speaking about DMs, uh, from a student one night that was like, someone, a car ran over the albino squirrel. I think we should have a memorial on campus for it. So my response was, you know, I I don't know if we'll be able to do a memorial, but I would love, you know, do you have footage of the squirrel, like from when it was alive? Like, why don't you try to put together a TikTok? So she did, she crowdsourced different clips from friends and, you know, other Brockport students and put together a TikTok within hours that was just so well done. So it just speaks to the fact that when there's something that can build community and it like really resonates with the student body, it will. Um, And the algorithm of TikTok is just wild like that, that it just, you know, it picks up somehow on, on activity. If it's it's starting to gain engagement, then it just, it blows up even more. I love that story. And I love that there's content being supported by the institution that's not mission focused. I mean, the albino squirrel, rest in peace, is not part of the mission of SUNY Brevport, but what a beautiful engagement story. And I'm sure that there was, you know, recent alums that maybe knew of the squirrel. Oh, um, absolutely. Yep. It was, and it, not only was it supported, my my supervisor at the time encouraged me to submit that TikTok specifically as part of an awards um, 
an award that we were submitting for um, through the Rochester um, Public Relations Society of America. So yeah, it's 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 that kind of thing that you do need buy-in sometimes from from campus partners. Um, so establishing yourself on these, you know, platforms and making sure that your brand voice is established from the start can help with with the buy-in that you get ultimately. I'd love to hear from both of you what examples you've seen of TikToks that are mission focused and do create that community engagement, but also feel feel genuine and feel real. Um there was there's a museum in Sacramento, the Sacramento Sacramento Museum. They shifted, they pivoted really quickly um, in that summer of uh, 2020, and they started providing like their educational lessons on TikTok. And so there, back then, it was just 60 seconds was the max. And so they would go on site to like a um, a cemetery. And so the museum curators or whatever their role was, they would tell the stories of Sacramento, the history of Sacramento. There was a man who would, um, he would show how the printing press worked from the old newspaper office. And so they continued their lessons in the community about Sacramento history because people couldn't come in. And so they provided it to their members online. Um, And that, that I, those were really fun. They showed up on my timeline all the time after I, after I liked a couple of videos, so I know a lot more about Sacramento than I otherwise would. Here at the Sacramento History Museum, we have a press that's not a printing press. It is our press penny machine. Here's how it works. And now it's worth less than a penny. And then another one was Art Sphere in Philadelphia. They served youth, or they serve youth um, in art through art means. And so they started providing lessons on TikTok, um, art lessons. And there was often not a face to their account. It was just this camera over a piece of paper or whatever piece of art they were working on. And then they were just taught these 60-second lessons um, on how to do whatever art, you know, whatever art medium or art skill they were trying to teach. And then they would... And it was clear that they were talking to their members or their existing stakeholders because they would tell them um, through like a little, the caption to go get the template from their website. But it wasn't a whole lot of information about these are our services. This is what we're doing. It was just assuming they already knew the people that were following them and they assuming that they knew how to go to their website and find what they were looking for. And we have this one food service worker. Uh, She works in one of our dining halls, elderly woman. um, And she is just like the goat of Brockport, the greatest of all time of Brockport. Every student loves her, just raves about her. Like we'll get comments about her name is Diane on random posts of ours. So it just doesn't even have to do with anything about food. And people will be like, I miss Diane. Like, so she's constantly being referenced by alumni, current students, whatever. So this trending sound at the time was something about an MVP. So one of the students went right over to the dining hall, you know, filmed himself like waving to her. And then he switched the camera around, showed Diane. And she's like waving to like her whole basically sea of followers and, and fans. So that one performed really well. Um, Again, building community, rallying around this, this face and figure that is so, um, beloved by Brockport. So that was a good one. Um, 
and then again, just just trying to hop on trends when they are on the rise is is key to the community building aspect because it shows that we're we're trying to tell the story of the student experience in the way that they want to consume it. I think we're shifting away from considering social media engagement somehow less than. It is certainly, as you have both described these examples, it is true engagement. It is the same sensation, the same feeling, maybe even the same behavior that you would see if somebody came to campus and went on a tour or they were part of an organization and attending in person. I'm not saying they're exactly the same, but to to get this sense that we are establishing as nonprofits, we're establishing true engagement, two-way dialogue. Folks are DMing, direct messaging back to you. They're having conversations in the comment section. They're creating their own content in response. I'd love to hear from both of you how this type of engagement continues to grow where it is in person or it it does impact donations or attendance or um, Darcy, in your case, I'd love to see how this is impacting admissions. Can you share with me some of the the next steps? Instagram is really big with with Generation Z, which is our prospective student audience. So it's a really big player in our recruitment efforts. Um, I've had times where students have DM'd the account or um, spoken to an admissions advisor saying that they just love seeing the vibrancy of campus throughout our Instagram. And it was really, you know, a contributing factor to their decision to come to Brockport. Um, I will say to, to your question about how the landscape is changing, maybe in terms of that engagement internally, we're living in this space, just not just Brockport, but the society as a whole of, of. I don't want to say cancel culture, but there's there's a lot more opportunity, I think, on social media to be loud and to be negative. And we're, we're seeing that a lot, I'd say, not just from our students, but from some internal constituencies, um, making it difficult to do the kinds of things with our content that would really entice prospective students and really make more of a difference with recruitment efforts. Um so it's been a difficult landscape to navigate, especially, you know, I think probably since COVID, um, navigating the the loud dissenting voices that come from social media, but while still trying to be edgy and kind of make your mark in a very oversaturated social landscape. So that's that's the biggest change I've seen is that we we do get a lot more um, feedback, negative feedback from our Instagram than we ever used to, and we think that's because more people are more eyes are on it. Um, it it's we're in this kind of just society where I don't want to say trolling, but trolling is like more regular, um, and just trying to figure out how to the, the new lay of the land and then still accomplish our goals. One of the things as you were talking that um, we noticed in our research was just the idea of authenticity. It seems that the TikTok users can really see who's being authentic and who's not. And our next stage of research, after we um, studied all the TikToks themselves and we talked to people who um, manage the, the accounts um, and we kind of asked them, did you, what did you intend to produce? And then we compared it to what they actually produced. Um, and when we were talking to them, it really 
came down to authenticity. Um, we saw that nonprofits might be verified on the TikTok site who were small, like a, a small rescue, animal rescue. Um, and then there would be these large national nonprofits that everybody's heard of that were not verified. Um, so really it was about, can we trust you? Um, do we believe you? Are you credible? I'd love to hear from both of you. Any advice you have for nonprofit managers, maybe advancement shops, who have, maybe they've got a Facebook and that's about it. Or maybe they're working with their LinkedIn and they're considering branching out to different platforms based on a growing audience. What is some of your, what is some of your advice? What should nonprofit leaders know about microvlogging? I'd say my biggest piece of advice to a nonprofit leader that's trying to branch out is to focus your efforts um, on on one area, on one new platform, um, and to not spread yourself too thin because it's so easy to get burnt out in this line of work or just in in that creative cycle. Um, so focusing your efforts on you know developing an Instagram or developing a TikTok, whatever it may be, um, and to not try to, die, to do too much at once. Try to focus your efforts and then. Um, I always use the phrase, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. So engagement takes time and it takes consistency. And as long as you put both of those things in, um, you'll start to reap the rewards. And on social media and just in general, nonprofits often try to avoid risk. And so they're careful on what they post and they may plan for an advance on what they post, um, what they're going to post over the next several weeks. And you can't do that on TikTok. Um, you might be able to plan out a week ahead, but the trends, sometimes trends stick around for a while, but typically they go really fast. And by trends, I mean, um, there might be a popular song or um, a common interaction um, between two individuals on the screen. Um, and those, if you post a trend two weeks after it's no longer trendy, <laughs> um, then your account's not going to look very authentic and people aren't going to engage as much. So you have to move a little bit faster. And that's sometimes uncomfortable for nonprofits to not account for risk um, in each thing that they do. Um, and focusing on building community can help a lot with that. So if you're less focused on what you want people to do or telling them things and just connecting that can help. You're really just showing people who you are, talking to them, maybe responding to their comment. Um, on TikTok, you can take the comment, post it on the screen, and so that everyone else in the, that's watching the TikTok can read that comment, and then you respond directly to it. So there's that, that element of not being quite so risk-averse all the time, and just put yourself out there is one piece of advice. Another one is don't repeat, tend to repeat your content from one account to the other. Sometimes people take TikTok and put it on Instagram or Facebook, but you can't take what's on Instagram or Facebook and put it on TikTok. They need to be original um, and authentic. I keep saying that because that's what the users, they really see and they connect with. So about the risk averse, you know, piece of advice, I totally agree with that. It's so hard to plan out content over, you know, even a week, let alone a month or um a quarter period as we like to do in higher ed, we like to plan um, and nonprofits as well. So I found that it's just easier to try to, you know, figure out, you know, fly kind of fly by the seat of your pants as social media forces you to do. Um, obviously you're going to have overarching goals and you're going to have, you know, some planned content that you know of in advance, but for the most part, 
staying flexible is, is really going to be key to producing the best content that you can. Um, and knowing that things are going to change every single day and just riding the wave of it all. I love your advice for nonprofit leaders. I love the sentiment that TikTok engagement requires a little bit of risk, putting yourself out there in an authentic way. Kim, I'd love to hear from you how that differs from traditional nonprofit marketing from 10 years ago. What are some of the major differences here? What are the hardest obstacles for more traditional nonprofit marketing leaders to overcome? I remember 10 years ago going to the person that was coordinating social media at the nonprofit that I worked at, and I said, can you post this on Facebook? And it was something that was immediate in the moment that I wanted to get out to our followers. And she says, I'll look at it and I'll think about posting it next week. And she wanted, spelled like these um, clear posts for Facebook um, that I would, she'd review, the ED would review, and they'd go out. Um, and it was frustrating trying to get the messages out 10 years ago. So I ended up just giving up and letting her do the account. But what got me interested in this, one of the first TikToks that got me interested in this was a nonprofit that was posting um, a video of a turkey on a couch and it had some trending music. And I'm like, what is this nonprofit doing? Like there's a turkey on a couch because there was some sort of rescue nonprofit. And it just... It just to me show that nonprofits are doing different things now. Um, you, I am certain that they didn't set up a, a, a video planned ahead to have this turkey on the couch. It, it's all about catching what's in the moment. What are we doing right now? What, what's going on in our nonprofit that we're doing today that might interest the people on TikTok? May, they may record it today and post it later, but it's all about capturing what's in the moment so that the, the viewer or the user stakeholder feels like they're at the nonprofit with them today. So if, if they're at the, maybe the animal rescue, they know the cats by name already because they've seen them on TikTok and they've seen the, the nonprofit CEO in there with this particular cat. And they know that cats, um, their behavior or their personality um, or when they're serving clients in real life, like the veterans organization that I mentioned earlier, they get to see the veteran in his or her home, and then they get to watch the transformation of the home. Um, Taos Habitat for Humanity, um, they didn't post online to um, typically to raise funds or get people to do anything, but they gave lessons. They found that users liked lessons on home building. And so the content creator would just go video these quick things that they were doing at the homes that they were building. And so they got this audience of people that were home builders or DIYers that wanted to do things in their own home and they were following them. They didn't even live in the city, but they got this following of people that just liked what they did. And so it was more about being there with this, this viewer, the stakeholder, um, rather than trying to tell them what you want them to know or get them to do what you want them to do. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking of as well, is, is that as users, as consumers, um, and especially the Gen Zs of us, they're so much more savvy to these marketing messages than, than older generations. Um, so for nonprofits like higher ed, um, institutions that are trying to market to Gen Z, we can't just keep resting on the hard sell. Like they are so sensitive to a hard sell, they're gonna completely tune out. Um, so that's why I think these kind of platforms 
that can help just tell the story in a more authentic way are doing so much better because it's really a soft sell. And it's not so like marketing in your face heavy. Um, It's more just like, this is the story of, you know, what we do or our mission in a really, again, authentic way. (laughs) Authentic is the, is the word of the day. When we um, interviewed the early adopters of TikTok and talked about how they manage their accounts, it really did feel somewhat chaotic because it was just, let's go see what the viewers want and let's post. And there were more nonprofits that were just kind of in this chaotic space. So they didn't really match the traditional um, social media team that's got the plan that, that they're going to put out. And this is what, what our brand and this is what it's going to look like. It was very much just in the moment. This is what we're doing and this, we want to share this with you. Um, or someone's asked about it in the comments. And so then they respond and say, yeah, this is, this is how we do that. Or this is what we're up to. So there's an element of chaos to it, which doesn't always sit, sit well with higher ed or nonprofits. <laughs> oh, higher ed has its own level of chaos. Just not, you know, planned, planned chaos per semester. I love too, that the value that's being placed on authenticity is happening at the same time that there is this social movement to be our true selves and to be our true selves in every walk of life. And I think it's, you know, thank you, Gen Z. We thank you guys. Thanks, younger millennials. We appreciate you for for moving this forward, for pushing this forward, this authenticity. And I think it's happening. It's I think it's growing up. I think it's growing into other other places, other sectors. I think not just in advertising and in marketing, but who we're looking for in leaders. So I'd like to think that this authenticity is contagious. Also, it's not a something that's cute. It sounds like from both of you that the authenticity is necessary for trust building. Is that what you would say? Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's also, I think it is a fine line though, between being, showing your authentic brand or your authentic self. But I guess as a, just as a user of social media myself, like how authentic is it really? Like you hear about all of these influencers with these perfectly curated feeds. So it's almost like we want people to be so authentic that it's getting away from them actually being authentic. It's really, it's really a hard environment right now. I think even like, you know, we want to put our best foot forward as Brockport So we try to do these authentic TikToks with students showing certain things. But again, the students, the consumers are very savvy and they'll be like, no, this is not how the dining hall looks. Or yeah, it's just a really weird kind of dynamic right now between wanting to be your authentic self at all times. But then knowing that like my authentic self right now at Brockport is like a couple potholes and we're never going to show those. So authenticity because it does cross over a line where you're now no longer being authentic. We found uh, in talking to nonprofit leaders and the content creators um, for the TikTok accounts that it was often hard to get buy-in from the board. And when the nonprofit director was on board, very often it was the nonprofit director herself or himself that was the content creator um, or the the head, and then they would have um, other staff members come in and record content. Um, but it was often about the personality of, it gave personality to the nonprofit, or it was the personality of the content creator. 
um, there was a nonprofit in Chicago, Dion's Fridge or something like that. And he had a fridge in Chicago that he would fill and people could come get food out of it. And the TikTok account very much centered around his personality. Um, and he was the head of the nonprofit. I think it was a one person nonprofit. And so it was really the the leader had was a part of it in the um, the nonprofits that we talked to when there was distance between the social media team and the person that had to give approval, that's where um, things became less authentic or appeared less authentic. This is Project Dream Fridge, our community fridge that we stock every day with fresh fruits and vegetables for the Inglewood residents on Chicago South Side. We buy our produce and we never give them over produce because we know that fresh produce is a right, not a privilege. So in our inner workings, like our inner circle of college communications, we're a very cohesive unit and we all understand the mission and we understand that these platforms are emerging all the time and that we have to stay on the up and up if we want to be able to recruit these students most effectively. I think that understanding becomes less known or it's just not as clear of a mission the further out you get from college communications and the higher up you get in the institution. So um, I think to Kim's point earlier, when platforms are new and there's only early adapters on them, oftentimes college leadership is not on that platform and not on that list of early adopters. So I think there's a lot we can do under the radar, at least for a little bit, to try to establish ourselves there and just, you know, kind of not necessarily like, what is that phrase? Like, do it first and then ask for forgiveness later. Um, but that's that's a little bit, I think, of how I've been able to build up uh, the platforms at Brockport um, just by trying to stay current with whatever is trending at the time, whether that's Instagram or TikTok, and then um, have it we have it already woven into strategy for what we're trying to accomplish by the time upper administration gets onto those platforms. The community building was the constant, and it was the gateway to other things. So you keep the community building going constant um, on the account, and then when you need to share information or you need to get people to act, then you use it for that. But it was kind of the mediator, the gateway to getting the other functions out of TikTok that our uh, nonprofit leadership is really wanting to get out of the social media account. The things that you can measure through, you know, fundraising or in-kind donations or goal achievement. Um, but it all started with connecting with the user first, then doing those things. I have one tidbit that I always like to share. Um, being someone that is a social media professional, it was in an article, a different social media professional wrote it. And this one line really stuck out to me. And she said, because we all do agree that social media is toxic, right? So if social media is toxic, then social media professionals are being paid to be poisoned. And I really truly believe that. And I think, you know, anyone that is doing this work, uh, should receive a lot of grace. Um, they're, you know, constantly being berated, whether it's in the comment section or in the DMs. Um, there's a lot that everyone else won't see. So just, you know, treat them with kindness as much as you can and show them that you appreciate their efforts because it's not easy work a lot of the time, but it does make a difference. In terms of community maintenance, um, it was something that nonprofits, that, that was part of the the TikTok management is something that they would do every day, particularly the LGBTQ 
organ, uh, serving organizations. They, um, they wanted to make sure that their members felt safe in this space. And so that was a, a daily task. Um, and as Darcy was saying, it, it really, you have to take care of your staff who are on TikTok. So if they're having to see those messages and take action, not just see them, but take action on them, go and delete those, um, it's important to, to check in. Um, I think of my work doing victim advocacy and how we always had debriefs after we um, provided tough services, or we would we work to make sure we avoided either vicarious trauma or compassion fatigue. Um, we didn't get into that in these interviews. However, that would be how I would advise to handle it is to, to treat this activity on TikTok where you're building community as something that isn't just belonging to the content creator or the social media manager. Um, so it's a daily thing and something that the staff member needs to be supported in. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. Um, I think with any job, you know, there's obviously pros and cons. Um, and there's going to be, you know, tasks that are your favorite and then tasks that you don't enjoy doing as much. And social media is, is no outlier there. Um, while it can be, you know, it can weigh you down and it can kind of be draining at times. It's also, there's that aspect where you get to be creative every day at your job and it's fun and you get to think outside the box. So as much as it might seem like a deterrent to university or nonprofit leaders, um, that there is that toxicity in these platforms. Um, it's also, you know, a really engaging and rewarding job, um, to be able to do. So two sides of both or two sides of the coin there, um, and I agree with Kim, just check in on, on those people that are doing that work and know that the stuff that you see or the stuff that the administration sees is not all that goes into it. And it's certainly not all that the, the content creators are seeing. So yeah, just make sure that you keep those lines of communication open and um, know, make sure that they know that the, um, the work they do is being appreciated. Thank you for joining Graham Pelton's Make Mission podcast. Our mission is to elevate philanthropy so nonprofits can flourish. To learn how we do it, visit podcast.grampelton.com.